But I want to appreciate God for your life, and I want to thank God for everyone. And those of you who are joining online as well, or watching this, or listening to the podcast after today, I want to encourage you to connect to everything God will be doing. What God is dealing with us in this church, as a church that he has commissioned to teach his word, we are very systematic about what we do. So I want to encourage you, if this is the first message you're ever listening to, from LifeGate Church, LifeGate Outreach Center here in Walsall, United Kingdom. I want you to know that there, this particular message is a part of other messages. So you will find them on our podcasts. First on our YouTube page, LifeGate Outreach TV. You have a, a load of them there. And then you can find us on all the podcast platforms that exist. Most of them, I believe, were on them, including Amazon Music. If you look for LifeGate Outreach Center, you will find us there. And then it's easier for you to see the picture. Like this particular message today is the fifth in the series of our, in on our series titled Fruitfulness by Sanctification. Fruitfulness by Sanctification. And uh, this particular topic of the series starts us on a series of five topics that will be looking at fruitfulness of the soul. Say with me, fruitfulness of the soul. We are going to be looking, we have just done fruitfulness of the spirit with the first four topics right up to the spirit of counsel. But we are now looking at the fruitfulness God gives us of our soul. And so the title is Fruitfulness by Godly Decisions and Choices. Fruitfulness by Godly Decisions and Choices. And uh, those of you who are watching the video, you would see on a regular basis we put up a banner like this. Every one of our series would normally have a banner that has all the topics of that message in it. So it just gives you a holistic picture. This particular series will have 13 topics. We're on the fifth one. I'm explaining all this because some of us are new to this type of um, uh, teachings and uh, structure. So this is how God has been leading us for the past almost nine years, and we are grateful to him for that. So Fruitfulness by godly decisions and godly choices, emotional intelligence, joyful disposition, kindness, and divine creativity will go along with our messages for fruitfulness of the soul, which is a subset of the fruitfulness by sanctification. So you are very welcome, and I want to believe God. We have emphasized over the week, very importantly, that Christ said he chose us that we should go and bear fruit. This is very important, very, very important. He said we did not choose him, John 15, 16. We did not choose him. He chose every one of us to go and bear fruit. Now, many of us understand from employment or even give a contract to somebody, you you are expecting them to deliver something. Nobody employs you just for the sake of you filling a position. They employed you, you are employed to deliver certain tasks. You are employed to deliver certain things that needs to be done. So Jesus said, I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. So a believer must be seeking to be fruit bearing. Jesus said, it is this fruit bearing that will make people know us. It is not by what we say. It's not how we dress. It's not as such. It's not how we carry ourselves. But how what we do, what comes out of our lives, when you see a mango tree, you expect to see mangrove fruits. When you see an orange tree, you expect to see orange fruits. For those of you who have seen those things in orchards before, because we have a generation in many cases now 
where people have only seen those things in supermarkets. <laughs> so we need to make the emphasis. And uh, it's very interesting. One of, our, one of my sons saw, my, my wife bought a whole chicken that's still got the head on. You know, this, this kind of uh, African type chickens that, you know, the, the meat is very, you need a tractor to, to cut it up. <laughs> very hard meat. I don't know why we like that kind of meat. Africans like very hard things. Anyway, let's leave that by the side. <laughs> the, the people are eating soft chicken. Africans will go and look for the very hard one. <laughs> they say, that's the sweet one. <laughs> Anyway, the head was still on it, and he came to me and he said, the chicken still got the head. I said, of course, it must have <laughs> He said, that's the first time he will see the head on the chicken that's been killed. I said, well, I used to slaughter them like that many, <laughs> many years ago. <laughs> oh, glory to God. He said, by their fruits, you will know them. So he said, you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain. This is very important for us. This is why we are studying what it takes for us to bear fruit in our spirit, bear fruit in our soul, and bear fruit, as we will look at next month, in our body. So we're looking at decisions, making godly decisions and choices. I want you to please be in rapt attention today. I will speak as quickly as I can because of time, but this, as I would always usually say, this is, this is virtually impossible to deliver in 45 minutes thereabouts, or about, you know, almost an hour we use. It is very, very important that you please follow me today. Write the scriptures down. I know you have access to the audio and the video, but at times when you are writing, it helps your brain to remember. So we try to encourage that you also write. First thing is for us to understand what a decision and a choice is. You see, a decision is a resolution or conclusion you come to after certain considerations. You don't just decide whether it is implicit, whether it's indirect or direct, you don't just decide to do something. You come to a resolution or a conclusion. Even the simple act of sitting down is a decision. You were standing up at this point a few minutes ago, and then it was said that now you may please be seated. You heard those words, and then you decided. You decided to sit. So there is a conclusion you came to that it's okay for you to sit and you are sat. Now, some of our brothers are standing up in the hall today because they are on duty doing certain things. So that instruction has come to them as well. But their decision to remain standing is tied to their assignment. Do you understand what I'm saying? Their decision to remain standing is tied to their assignment. So they are not sat down, not in disobedience, but because their assignment requires that they should still be sat, they should still be standing up. So we must understand how important it is to realize decisions can make us stand out. It can make us do things differently. It can make us be, you know, one of a kind, whatever it is. But it is most important that we realize that that decision is tied to the will of God for us. Amen. So a decision we come to as a resolution or a conclusion based on several considerations. Then a choice is basically the option we take out of many options. I'm just putting words to this. You can find different dictionary meanings. But it is the option, the one option we take out of two or more options. When we take an option after a decision, then we have, uh, we have uh, chosen a path. So as long as we live in this world, we will always be faced with making decisions and choices. As long as you are in this world, you will always be faced with making decisions and choices. 
every stage of life, every day, every time, every time there will be a demand placed on you to make a decision or to make a choice. So we must all understand the choice between good and evil is one that will always be confronting us. And so we must know how God can help us to be able to take the wise decision of good all the time. Indecision, poor decisions, and poor choices can be stagnating in life. At times, they can even be devastating. Many people are, the Bible says in Joel chapter 3 verse 14, that many people, multitudes, are in the valley of decision. It's like a valley, Joel 3, 14. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of, de- of decision. It's like a bowl, it's like a holding place. As long as you are undecided about things, the danger is that you are likely to remain stagnated and the danger is that it can even cause more harm. So we must understand the place of taking decisions. It is said that one of the hallmarks of leadership or leaders is their capability to take decisions and quickly, quickly. Most leaders are gifted with the capacity to be able to take quick decisions, to identify something to do. Even if that decision means let's wait, it is a decision. It is not indecision to say we will wait for this. It is a decision to wait. But not opining something at all puts you in a situation whereby it becomes very difficult for God to do whatever he wants to do. So we must understand very well today that it is important that we don't allow ourselves to be in indecision or making poor decisions and poor choices. They can be very devastating. Remember, Noah, great man, great servant of God, we talk about him a lot in Genesis chapter 8. This man that found grace with God, fantastic stuff, phenomenal human being out of the whole world. This one man found grace with God. God preserved him, preserved his family, preserved all the animals he brought in the ark. We like his story very much. After all that, Noah became a farmer and one day he just took a crazy decision to start drinking. And then he got drunk. You read the story in Genesis 8, verse 20 to 23. And it caused for his children to almost witness his nakedness. Only the two, Shem and Japheth, who were clever to say, no, we're not going to be like Ham, who wants to see and laugh at the nakedness of our father. Now, we all blame Ham and say Ham laughed at the nakedness of his father whilst Shem and, Jem, uh, Shem and uh, Japheth took their, their clothes and covered their father backwards and so on. But take a step back. Those three young men would have not been put in that situation and Ham getting cursed ultimately if Noah had not taken a bad decision to become a drunkard. Your decision can affect generations. That one act of drunkenness cost a whole nation. Brought a curse upon a whole nation because of the poor decision of one man. Let us be very careful. I have followed the life of uh, uh, Mr. Uh, J.D. Daniels of, uh, of Australia, one Christian businessman in Australia that has affected my life so much. I have read his story. I know virtually everything about him. I've never met him in person, but I have listened to almost all the messages he preached. He never pastored the church, but one of the 
one of the billionaires that God raised in these times. He's very old now. He's about 90 years old and he's kind of frail with his health. But Peter J.D. Daniels became a Christian at the age of 26. Billy Graham was, you know, ministering in Australia, went all the way from America to Australia in the 50s, early 50s, and uh, 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 Mr. Daniels was only 26 years old. He responded to the altar call and he became a Christian. And from that point, he began. He was a layman. He could not even read by that time. It was his wife that taught him how to read. And then he started reading the Bible as the first book he would read. And when God saw that this young man was going to be on fire for him, God blessed him in business. He became a mogul in real estate and all those kind of businesses, you know, trading. And then especially in gold. He dealt in gold quite a lot. Anyway, Peter J.D. Daniels became a notable figure in the body of Christ till today because his empires are still doing a lot of the things he started. But my point is this. About the same time, another man called Hugh Hefner was also born. The same time Peter Daniels was born, Hugh Hefner organized, and about that age 26 of his life as well, before 30, he started what was known, what is still known today as the Playboy mansion that publishes the Playboy magazine. You know that, that Playboy magazine from America? Hugh Hefner was the, was the creator. And all their lives, I looked at the history of these people for 60 years. One person influencing the kingdom of God, the other one influencing the kingdom of darkness, ruining many young men's life, as it were, with those magazines. Many people are into pornography today and illicit things because of a Playboy magazine they got a hold of in the early days of their life, in the young stages of their life. Who Hefner died, I think, last year or two years ago, very recently, and um, Peter Daniels is still alive. But I kept saying to myself, two men born in the same generation, having the same options presented to them, one made a good choice, one made a terrible choice, and ruined as many people as he could till he left this world. Only God could have delivered some that were affected by the things he brought. But here is Peter Daniels that has transformed, God has used to transform so many lives. I want us to understand today that what God is telling us here is not just about decisions for you or decisions about you. We are talking about things that can affect generations to come. I say they can affect generations to come in the mighty name of Jesus. So every one of us must understand. We can go on. David, David's adultery in 2 Samuel chapter 11 is poor decision. Poor decision. And again, affected so many things, including his life. The prodigal son leaving home in Luke 15. Poor decision. He had everything he needed but left home at the wrong time. Left home when he was not ready and it became a problem for him. Became a heartache for his father as well. Samson's friendship with and telling Delilah his secrets. Poor decisions, chains of poor decisions. Now, many of us remember Samson as a strong man, a strong fighter. Samson was a judge. That's one thing we hardly ever say about him. Samson was a leader of Israel in his time. He was a judge. In those days, there were Deborah, there was Samson, there were all those judges that, if you read about them in the book of Judges, these were before kings. So they were people of note. Samson was a respectable person, but poor decision, poor decision. I pray that God will open our eyes against every indecision and poor decision today in the mighty name of Jesus. So a decision is always indirectly reached 
or directly reached before choices are made. This is what we read about in the book of Joshua, in the book of Deuteronomy about Joshua. You'll find it in Joshua 24 as well. But Deuteronomy 30, Pastor Lola led us earlier on to read from verse 1 to 20. You can read that again at your time, but let us just go straight to verse 19. He said to the people, let's read together. Very important, let's read it together. Go. I call heaven and earth as witness today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. Look at your neighbor for me. Say, choose life. Say, choose life. It is for you to choose. It is a decision you must make. It's not a gift to choose life. It's an intentionality. It's a purposeful way of living to choose life. Let's read verse 20 together. Everybody go. He said, when we may live, that what? Let's go. That you may love the Lord your God, number one. That you may obey his voice, number two. That you may cling to him. That's walk with him, number three. For he is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. Now we know that we are no longer bound by a physical geographical land, but we are now people who dwell in Mount Zion, the city of the Most High God. So we must be people who are also intentionally choosing life, obeying the voice of God, clinging to him because he is our life and the length of our days. If we simply are willing and obedient, the Bible says, we shall eat of the good of the land. Hallelujah. Many things we pray about and work so hard to get, we will not need those prayers if we do the right things. If politicians in countries where people are praying against armed robbers when they travel, are doing their job and there is security in place. Will people need to pray against armed robbers and terrorists? I'm asking you, will they need? It will be an unnecessary prayer. How many of you have left home in this country? You, you, took, you are going to London from here and you left at 8 o'clock and you started binding demons. I mean, let's be real. How many of you remember? Is it not halfway? You say, oh Lord, I commit this journey to you. <laughs> I'm becoming arrogant. I commit this journey to your hand. God is saying, I'm just meeting you. You have a functional system. That's why. That is what I want all my children all over the world to do. So that they don't have to be bombarding me with prayer for sickness, health, and this thing. Because I have put enough wisdom in man to solve all those problems. But if some of you are greedy and they will not allow it to spread around, then you will be disturbing heaven with prayer that is not necessary. Very simple. If you make right choices, if people make right choices, they impact the system and they minimize the need for things that other people will be scrambling for. This is why we must understand the importance of choices. We have a choice every time. You may say, I'm not in politics, Brother Dave. I'm not, uh, I'm not anything. I'm not even you know, anywhere in my organization. But you see, you have a family. You have a, a wife, a husband. You have children, no matter their ages. You still must be making the right choices, the right decisions and the right choices for their lives and for yourself. The mind of man is the seat of the willpower. We know that our mind is three components. Somebody say my willpower, my emotions, and my intellect. 
We're going to be looking at these three things over the next few weeks, over the next three weeks. So we're looking at the willpower today. Next week, we'll look at emotional intelligence. And then when we look at intellectual, we'll look at creativity and those kind of things. But the mind is the seat of our willpower. And it is this willpower that is the place whereby we make decisions and we make choices. It is God's gift to us to give us our individuality, to make us people of responsibility. The moment God said to Adam that he shall not eat, he can eat of anything in the Garden of Eden, but except one tree. We talk about these things a lot because it means everything about our foundations. The moment God said to him, don't eat of that tree, he gave him a choice. He says, there, but don't eat it. Now it is your choice. That's why God did not stop him the day he ate it. The day he ate of it, God did not stop him because God has already given man choice. This is why people must understand that God will not always accept he just chooses, which is rare. God will not always stop you from making wrong decisions. If he did, the way he loved David, and he called him the man after his heart and the beloved, the moment David was looking through the window and he saw that woman's nakedness, God would have come in and shut his eyes by force. I said, stop looking. That's not where you should be looking. God left him because the power of a choice and making decisions is in the hand of every human being. So we must understand that if we have seen failings before where people have made poor decisions, made wrong judgments, and it has caused them trouble, we need to understand that we can avoid it by one thing, simply allowing ourselves to overcome the natural, the limitations of the natural willpower of man, allowing it to be empowered by the Spirit of God. This is where the difference is. You see, the natural man can will to do good to an extent. This is why you find that a person doesn't have to be a Christian or know anything about God to make certain right decisions. You don't have to be. But it is a limited way of life. And believers must understand that God gives us access to a deeper way of living such that when that limitation of man is exceeded, the Holy Spirit can help you. I said the Holy Spirit can help you. And the Holy Spirit will help you. In the name of Jesus. This is the exclusive preserve of those who are sanctified. We read 1 Thessalonians 5, 23-24 a lot because it tells us that we are sanctified spirit, soul, and body. Believers have been taught many, many times that are sanctified in the spirit. We do not understand that being a new creation, all things passed away, means that you are sanctified in the spirit, but you are also sanctified in your soul. Your soul is also separated to God. Your soul is also given this God-like nature that can allow you to hear God and take reasoning and decision like God would expect you to. He said, may the God of peace himself, verse 23, sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless. Somebody say, my spirit, my soul, my body are sanctified. He said, may they be preserved blameless. The word preserved means sanctified, pulled to God, covered, protected, enabled. He said, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is a coming of Christ that the church including you and I, and the world is waiting for. What God was speaking through Paul to the Thessalonians here is that it will take you allowing the sanctification of your spirit, your soul, your body to get into that blamelessness. 
You cannot do it in your own power. I cannot do it in your own in my own power. Verse 24 says, He who calls you is faithful. Verse 24. Who also will what? Let's read it together. He who calls you is faithful. Who also will? He will do it. You just need to learn how to trust him. You need to learn how to walk with him. This is what Joshua was telling them way before Jesus Christ came. That just take his word, obey his voice, cling to him, walk with him. So it is important for us to continue to dedicate our willpower to the Lord who walks in us by his spirit. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who walks in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. I always emphasize these two things. There is an aspect of you willing, there is an aspect of you doing. You need the Holy Spirit to help you in both cases. When Peter, James, and John went up to the mountain with Jesus to pray, Jesus saw that they were sleeping. What did he say to them? After the thought that I say, he said, I can see here that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. To say the flesh has not yet been empowered to do it. The spirit is always willing. The spirit is fired up every time because it is the closest communion with the Holy Spirit. So it's always charged. But you see, until you understand that your mind as well can tap into the power of the Holy Spirit by way of its sanctification, and even your body, your body, your physical body. How many of you always feel like praying? You're here. And every time, 24, you just feel like praying. Thank, I thank you that you are very honest people. <laughs> because in our generation, you still see one person that says, yeah. <laughs> But I thank God for all of you. You have been very honest. Nobody always feels like praying. No. Most of the time, you fight from your spirit to your soul. And then you get the body up. <laughs> Especially those early morning ones. <laughs> Hallelujah. I was preaching in a church a couple of years ago. They invited me for their 10th anniversary. One of our sister churches in, in Wolverhampton. And I was encouraging them. At that time, we had been praying in the morning for about 18 months. We started January 2018 by God's grace, Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. to 6 a.m. We pray on Zoom as a church. And I would like to encourage you to join. It's open to everybody. Be a part of it when you can. If you can, all the time be there. It is a blessed time. And so I said to them, I said, the man of God has declared a vision, but you know what will birth this vision? Prayer. I said, pray. And they were all looking at me. I said, there is no new improved Christianity. We are thinking that there is a way we can do these things now without prayer. No. Prayer, the Bible says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face and do what? And pray. They must pray. Jesus said, when you pray, say. So he didn't say, if you feel like praying or if you pray. No, he said, when you pray, because it's expected that you pray. So I said to them, I said, pray. I said, pray anyhow. Pray anyhow. I said, Jesus, don't be worried. When you put on the Zoom, when you put it on and uh, you see somebody who is supposed to lead the point, they have slept. I'm not looking at anybody now. <laughs> it's their turn, but they, they are not coming up. <laughs> Two things have happened. Either they have really caught up in the spirit or they have just slept. <laughs> but most of the time, it's the second one. <laughs> because they are still fighting the body. The flesh is weak. <laughs> Hallelujah. So we'll charge them. Brother this, are you there? Brother, brother, bro, you're there? You're there? <laughs> Sister, are you there? Okay, then we carry on. <laughs> Hallelujah. So I said to them, I said, look, 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 we over, overrate this thing called sleep, especially when we are trying to pray. The men who ate, and I'm not encouraging you to be sleeping, 
But the men who ate and dined and walked with Jesus Christ, you can't get closer than Peter, James, and John. They slept. <laughs> they slept. So when you sleep and you wake up and it's 6.15 and you are the only one on Zoom. <laughs> and you are the only one on Zoom. You say, Lord, help me tomorrow. <laughs> Just help me tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow is another day. So tomorrow you come with your coffee and eh. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Do you know why I always put my camera on? Many of you don't know. You think I just want to be showing my face? It's part of how I make sure that I am alert. <laughs> so in the day you don't see my camera, it's either I am traveling, I'm in an airport, or you say, ah, Pastor, where are you? <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> we need to charge each other. These things don't come easy. It don't come easy. You have to get your willpower surrendered to God. So, we are helped by the Holy Spirit to yield to the will of God. We have read about the seven spirits of God. I won't waste too much time on it in Isaiah chapter 11 verse 2. But the last one tells us that it is the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Many of us do not understand how there are seven. Say with me, number one, the spirit of the Lord. Say number one, the spirit of the Lord. Say it, number one, the spirit of the Lord. Say two. The spirit of wisdom. Say three, the spirit of understanding. Four, the spirit of counsel. Five, the spirit of might. Six, the spirit of knowledge. Seven, the spirit of the fear of the Lord. The seventh one is what helps us. When the spirit of the the Lord helps you as a Christian. The Spirit of the Lord is what sanctifies us, helps us to become a Christian. Jesus talked about it in Luke 4, 19. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me. So the Spirit of the Lord is what sanctifies us completely, brings us out. But every one of those other manifestations, the Spirit of wisdom, knowledge, counsel, might, the Spirit, of, and lastly, the Spirit of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, helps us to yield to the will of God. This is why Jesus taught in Luke 22, verse 41. He said, and when he was withdrawn from them about a stone throw, he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. This is Jesus in his humanity. He said, take this cup away from me. But he said, nevertheless, nevertheless, not my will, but your will. Are you still projecting? Thank you. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That is to say, I let go of my humanity. Humanity was speaking in verse 41. Go back to verse 41. Jesus, the son of man in his humanity, the Bible says, he knelt down, he prayed. Now, early verse 42, go to verse 42a, verse 42. He says, say, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. My humanity is limited here. My humanity cannot bear this. It is impossible to bear this in the flesh. He said, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Now, let's read what God now did to show the manifestation of the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Look at verse 43. Go, verse 43. Very quickly, everybody, let's read together. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him, gave him emotional strength. The spirit is always willing. The mind may be challenged. The body may be weak. And this applies in every kind of decisions we'll be taking in life. This is why we must all be understanding how we surrender 
our spirit, soul, and body that have been sanctified continuously to the work of the Spirit of God, especially in the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, it says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. Some translations say it's the destruction. Many times the choices we like to make in life are things that are not good for us. It's just the way the world system works. The things that we want to quickly do and just get over and do that will be appealing to your body are things that usually have death in the end. It takes the Holy Spirit to help us out of making those poor choices. David thought, I'll just quickly enjoy this woman and get it over with. Lost all sense of reasoning. David, the man with the, with the pursuit after God's heart, forgot about all that for a moment of pleasure that now cost him, virtually cost him his life ultimately. Because David had now to live a very rough life to the very last few days. Despite the fact that he was still beloved of God. But we have to be very careful of these decisions. Be very, very careful. That way may seem right. The devil never gives anything free. He never gives anything free. He never empowers anyone and gives them a largesse of life. There is always a consequence because he has no other mission than to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He cannot be better than that. So anyone who goes the way of the devil by way of poor choices or wrong decisions stands at the end of the day risking death. Not just a physical death, but a death in many other ways. God takes pleasure, Psalm 147, verse 11. It says, the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his mercy. If you are somebody who walks in the fear of God, God is always committed to your matters. God is always committed to your ways. God is always committed to your affairs. Every one of us must understand this, that you are prime in the eyes of God when you walk in the fear of the Lord. This is why men who stood with God in Scripture were men that God defended. Men like Moses, even David. Men like uh, Elijah, Elisha. Men like Peter, James, John. These great servants of God got the manifestations of God. Peter was put in prison. He was about to be beheaded. But God knew that his time was not yet over. Because James was beheaded and just because God allowed it, Herod thought, I will just be chopping off their heads one after the other. So he took Peter next. They let me get a hold of that guy. But God knew that no way, there are still loads of people that this guy will be dealing with. And he's still going to anchor the church in Jerusalem to make sure that this church that is just nascent and just coming up will be well founded. And as soon as Peter got into prison, the Bible says the church prayed for Peter. And an angel went and delivered him. How about the deliverance of Paul and Silas? Now, we may look at those stories today and see them as fables, but we must understand, or as stories rather, not that fables we don't believe. We believe them, but they may look so remote to us. But I want you to know that that's how God is fighting for you everywhere. I say God is fighting for you. I am not afraid of anything any human being can do for me, and I'm not boasting emptily here. It's not anything I do myself, but because I know that I am strongly defended, I am strongly guarded, you must walk in the consciousness of that. Psalm 71 verse 7, the the psalmist said, I am as a wonder unto many, but you, O God, are my strong refuge. So you don't walk like somebody who doesn't understand that you are properly guided and properly protected. You don't walk like that. You walk in the conscientiousness of the fact that you are guided. Every time you see a prime minister, even in this country, 
You will see them walking about and shaking hands with people. You will say, this, just like that, this country is so free. There's nobody. There are more than 200 around him. <laughs> you can't know them. <laughs> you try to move near to him, then they all come out. <laughs> Some of them will look like people selling the, <laughs> you know, candy by the side or frying popcorn. They are one of them. Is one of them in that very location. But you will know. You will think, ah, this country is so free. Prime Minister just going about shaking people like that. You attack the Prime Minister first. <laughs> Before you know it, you are in one big machine like that and they are driving you. <laughs> they are taking you straight to prison. They are heavily guarded. So if we can guard human beings like that, I understand that the detail around the American president at any one time is 200. 200. I said, ah, <laughs> one person. <laughs> one person. When 9-11 happened and uh, the first plane hit the first tower, the second plane hit the second tower. George Bush was in a was in a primary school reading with children. You know, some of you know that story. He was reading with children, and then they, one of the details came and told him that the second plane, because the first one they thought it was it was some air crash. Then the second one they, they knew. So the guy told him, he said, "Sir, the second plane has hit the south tower or the north tower, the second tower. America is under attack." The man stood there. This is the power of a leader. He stood there. If it's you and I, you say, hey, <laughs> if you are not trained and wired up to be in that kind of position, you will shout. You will run out of the... <laughs> the man stood there, still listening to that five-year-old read a book and still nodding his head. They showed his picture and said, what is going on in this man's head now? Only God knows. <laughs> he stood there. But you know something? From that place, you know where they whisked him to? Straight from the helicopters to Air Force One and to the sky with two F-15s to protect him because... They thought the next hit could be anywhere the president is, the White House or anywhere. So they took to the sky themselves, ready with combats, so that if they find any plane anywhere around him, they shoot it down. <laughs> that is detail. Some countries are still looking for how to use AK-47. <laughs> I didn't mention any country, so don't call me. <laughs> this is 2001. One country, like you and I... <laughs> Hallelujah. Choices. Somebody say choices. Now that is, a, that is a democracy I've just described that has taken two, almost 300 years to build. You take time, you learn, make choices. God reveals his will to us in two ways. Number one, through his spirit. Say through his spirit. John chapter 16 verse 12. He said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Verse 13. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. Now he has come and he is guiding us. I say he has come and he is guiding us. He said, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you what things to come. He will tell you the right choice to make. He will tell you the right job to take. He will tell you the right friends to have. He will tell you the right word to sing, the right word to speak. He will tell you even the right song to sing part time. Do you know that husband and wife, if you, are, if you are not in good times, let's say you are having a heated moment, or you don't do it? <laughs> okay. I like this congregation. Very honest. <laughs> ah, God, I thank you. <laughs> Very honest people here. Yeah, I like it. Sometimes you don't understand each other. And you look at each other like that. 
Nobody is talking. Now, listen. We sang a song here today. Very powerful song. Sister Tinu led us very powerfully this morning. Christ is enough for me. You know that song? That's not the kind of song you sing when you are fighting with your spouse. There is no wisdom in that. And then you, are start, you start in the living room. The man is there. And then you say, the devil behind me. <laughs> the world behind me. <laughs> the man will come from that back. That devil you say is behind me. <laughs> I'm not for domestic violence. And nobody should hit their wife. But if you use your mouth to go and be inviting trouble to yourself, you are the cause of your own domestic violence. While there's no ground whatsoever that anybody should hit the other person. But you know, these are foolish things. Say, Christ is enough for me. Good song, right words, wrong time. (laughs) Wrong time. Because there 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 are things happening. Hey, must you sing? Sing. (laughs) Ah, the song is boiling your heart. Go outside. (laughs) Go outside. Go outside. If you listen to the Holy Spirit, when you are about to say cry, he say, go outside. <laughs> Christ is enough for you, but go outside. <laughs> Don't sing it here. The man's head is charging already. And then you say, the cross before me. And then you back him and say, the world behind. <laughs> the world in him will rise up. <laughs> Just simple, simple things. I tell you, some of these things have caused unnecessary problems. Have you been there before? You're about to say something. A lovely conversation is going on. And you're about to use an example. And the Holy Spirit will say, no, not that one. You will save yourself. If you reject it, you say, ah, Holy Spirit, this one is very good. Let me just say it. Then you will see the consequence. <laughs> you will see that the whole atmosphere changes because somehow it may be a correct story, it may be right, but it is a wrong time. We need to hear. He said he will tell you things to come. He will make you see where there is danger. Every one of us must understand these things. At times, your children will come to you with things they want to do. You don't always have to say no if you don't understand. Because if you say no just because you don't understand, you may be robbing them and your generation of a big blessing. So when you don't know, ask for time. Let the Holy Spirit help you. And if the Holy Spirit says, even though you don't understand, all is well, let them be. Then you let them be. You make them chart new territories. Most of the time, the children of people who break new grounds are doing things that their parents never did. They go ways and paths that their parents did not tread. Check history. So every one of us must understand how important it is. If you just take a decision to say, no, I have spoken and no, it is. You may find yourself resisting a new move of the Holy Spirit through that young man or that young woman. Now, I'm not saying that it always has to be. At times, you have to say no because it should just be a no. But you don't just say no because you don't understand it or you've never seen it before. You say no because that's what the Holy Spirit is asking you to say. Hallelujah. Then through his word, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, the Bible says, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed. As a light that shines in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. It's in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. He said, you do well to take heed. Please put it back up for me. Say, I will do well by taking heed to the prophetic word 
Now, the prophetic word is not just a word of somebody coming to you and saying, thus says the Lord. The prophetic word is the revealed word. It's the word you understand from scripture. Yes, it can be transmitted through an agent to you, but many times it is just you. The word of God is the spirit of prophecy. The word of God itself is spirit and is life. Jesus said, the word that I speak to you, they are what? Spirit and they are life. So when you understand the word of God, it helps you. We need to trust God totally with our life because he sees the whole picture. Thank you. I've used that scripture now. He sees the whole scripture. He sees the whole future. God knows tomorrow. We have not yet lived in it. God knows tomorrow. He knows where you are coming from. He knows what is causing to work together for good. Some things may be looking like a delay now. But I have found that if you just gently, patiently walk with God, when he walks it out, you look back and say, oh, this last five years was not a delay. It was not a waste. God was working all things together for my good. We have not done it for a long time. Let's do it together now. Say, and we know, do your hand like that, and we know that God causes all things to work together for my good. And I'm moving forward. And I know that God causes all things to work together for my good and moving forward. I was preaching like this in the year 2013. God gave me that pattern and we've been doing it ever since then. Everything will continue to work together for your good. Just listen to God every step of the way. Nobody in this room has ever seen tomorrow, but God has. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So why not listen to him today for your tomorrow? Why rush out tomorrow morning and just, that thing you don't know what to do, that thing you just don't know. Why Why do you want to figure it out yourself and not just ask the one who knows already? Hallelujah. And he will be telling you things to come in the name of Jesus. In Psalm 32 verse 8, he said, I will instruct you and teach you the way that you should go. I will guide you with my eye. I will guide you. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord run to and fro the earth, waiting to show himself strong on the behalf of them who are diligently seeking him. Second Chronicles 16:5. He said they are like that, to and fro, to and fro, to and fro, and he's looking round and round. So when he sees you taking steps, waiting on him, praying, he tells you this is what to do. Sees the next one, tells him this is what to do. That is what it means. Hallelujah. Psalm 25, verse 12. He said, Who is that man that fears the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way he chooses. Him shall he teach. That is, God shall teach such a person. I say, God will teach you in the mighty name of Jesus. I have lived my life by faith. At times you want to share the word of God with somebody, you don't know what to say, he will put the words in your mouth. When Philip met the man, the, the, the Ethiopian eunuch, we're told in Acts chapter 8, when Philip saw him, that man said, Philip asked him, he said, do you understand what you are reading? The man said, how can I unless someone interprets it to me? And then Philip, by way of understanding and revelation, he said, the scripture you are reading is about the man that was led to the slaughter. Do you know who he's talking about? He said, no, how can I understand? And he began from that very place, the Bible says, from that same spot. God can come into such details to help you know how. And do you know that the people we meet on a daily basis that we share the gospel with, they are part, usually part of a puzzle. We are part of their journey of the faith. At times, it ends with us, but at times, it's just a contribution again 
to just say one more thing that helps that person to see God in a new way. Maybe it's going to take two more people, two more steps, and some other day we never know, some meeting somewhere, whatever it is. But when it is our turn to do our part, we should not fail God. The Holy Spirit will say, tell that person that you like their wristwatch. You know, there are some things that can always strike up a conversation. You want to talk to any man, tell him you like his car. <laughs> he will like you forever. <laughs> Men, very simple, just their car is enough for them. Say, this is your car, I like it. Nice car. And then where do you walk? And then that just starts a conversation because you have struck the right chord. I'm trying to think of what you can say to a woman, but I'll leave that. <laughs> I'll leave that because it depends on her mood, it depends on the day, it depends on... <laughs> So again, you need the Holy Ghost plenty, plenty. <laughs> You said it to one yesterday and you are very happy. It struck a conversation. If you don't pray for the next one, <laughs> you go and say you like our hair. See, this hair, I've been trying to change it for the past six months. <laughs> I'm tired of it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't like it anymore. <laughs> oh, glory to God. Hallelujah. Now, there is no more time, but I will just take one minute each to go through eight things that I quickly picked up that are important godly decisions and choices that we must make in life. I will just tell you what it is and tell you the verse. In some cases, I may stop a little bit more. Number one, we must choose salvation over damnation. This is expected of every human being. Whether you are here born again today or you are not, every human being must choose salvation. Second Peter 3, 9. The Bible says the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. As some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should do what? Come to repentance. God's will is that everyone will be saved. Titus 2.11 says the grace of God for salvation has appeared to all men. He's waiting for you and I to continue to respond. Anyone who has not yet come to the saving knowledge of God is automatically choosing damnation. Not that I said so. Jesus said so in John chapter 3, verse 17. He said, he who believes is saved, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Why choose condemnation? There is a choice before you. Joshua said, it is life and death. Choose life. I don't know why somebody will not want to walk with God. I don't know why somebody will not want to give their life to Jesus Christ, who died for them, who gave himself and came into this world just for their sake. I don't know. It's costing you nothing. It's costing you nothing. We are in a world and a system where we think everything that is good and price that, that is of value must come at a huge price. So our brain cannot comprehend this free gift of salvation many times. But God is willing that no one should perish and is waiting patiently for us many. If you are under the sound of my voice in the hall today or online, Respond to him today. Respond to him today because he's looking for you. Revelation 3.20 says he's standing at the door of your heart and he's knocking. If you open that door, he will come in and sup with you and you will continue to sup with him for the rest of your life. I pray that we all continue to choose salvation over damnation in Jesus' name. Number two, we must choose integrity over compromise. We'll be faced with the choice of presenting ourselves in integrity will be faced with the choice of integrity and compromise every day. Whoever you are, every day. 
But God is committed to the upright. Proverbs 2, 6 tells us, For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth, come knowledge and understanding. Let's read verse 7 together. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. And he is a shield to those who walk uprightly. Those who walk in integrity. Everyone who walks in integrity is always protected by God. Remember Joseph. Joseph stood in the integrity of his heart, refused to sin against God. God fought for him until his dream came to pass. The devil knows that compromise will only cause you to deviate from God's plan for your life. Don't give in to any form of compromise whatsoever. Make integrity your watchword. And trust God who defends the upright to continue to defend you. In the mighty name of Jesus. Number three, diligence. Choose diligence over laziness. Choose diligence over laziness. Proverbs 12 verse 24 says, The hand of the diligent will rule, but the lazy man will be put to what? Forced labor. You will not be put to forced labor. In the name of Jesus. But you know what? You don't need to pray against forced labor. Just be diligent. Just be diligent in what you do. Every diligent person has always been taken by God to higher things. Every diligent person has always been taken by God to a place of destiny, in a place of honor and dignity. Now, it doesn't matter what the status of uh, the society positions you as. As a diligent person in what you do, there is a way God, God honors your life. I say God honors your life. God beautifies your life in the mighty name of Jesus. Just be diligent. Laziness has no place in this kingdom. Jesus said, my father walks hitherto, and I walk. John chapter 9, verse 4. God doesn't like laziness. You get up in the morning, you sharpen yourself. Even if you walk at night, you make sure that when you sleep, you sleep well. When you wake up, you are fresh, ready to go for the next walk that you are doing, whether it's night again or whatever it is. Or if you walk differently. You see, in this life, is either your brain is walking or your physical person is walking. You must continue to apply yourself, whatever the kind of work God gives you to do. You, all these people who will say to you that, uh, you know, you can enjoy your life, you walk, I walk only four hours, and this and that, this and that. They have paid for somebody to use their brain to put a system in place, a software that is doing something for them. They have paid. Many times they won't tell you that. It's when you find out. I found out before. I went into, ah, this man says he does it only four hours a month. Let me know what you do. <laughs> Then I saw that he paid for a software that cost him almost 16000 I said, hey, that's the one you don't say. <laughs> that's the one you don't say. So people have used their brain to be selling you a software that will be doing trading and doing different things for you so that while you sleep. And even that, at times it's not that he works all the time, but the reality is that work cannot be eliminated. I say work cannot be eliminated. Work is not as a result of the curse. People say it's the result of the curse that God brought work. No, 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 no. Yes, man, when he sinned, the Bible says God will make the heart. He said he makes the ground hard and he will have to till it. But way before man sinned, the Bible says he placed him, Genesis 2.15, he placed him in the garden to tend it and keep it. He did not sin until Genesis 3. So work has always been in place. So as a child of God, you must love work. I'm not talking about hard work and working aimlessly just to chase money. I am talking about being diligent with what you do. Whatever God puts in your hand to do what the Bible says, do it diligently with all your might. Do it well. Tell your neighbor for me, do it well. Do your job well. It's very important. One of the problems that 
is usually the complaint against, and I'm not trying to be racist here or anything, because I come from that background as well, against people from my uh, natural background, Afro-Africans, especially, and Afro-Caribbeans, is the fact that we don't usually pay attention to detail. And we must fight it. We must hate it. It stops us from getting to top positions. Because our work is usually untidy compared to... Now, I can talk like that because I'm from that background. So before you say, ah, this man is having a go at a race. And then the next thing, you know what I'm going to talk about. You know it. (laughs) We are very poor with time. Time, consciousness, out of the window. Those two things is limiting people from our background. And if you are from my background, I'm encouraging you, if you find traces of it in your life, it is like something we have, that is the kind of thing you have to be binding, because it's like a spirit. You have to bind it and say, Lord, help me to be diligent with my work. And I pray God will put on us the spirit of excellence in the mighty name of Jesus. If not, we have every other thing. Nobody can be as resilient. Nobody can be as tough. Only an African woman will be pregnant, going to school, working at the same time, and having two other children. You can't find it anywhere. Only an African woman. She's pregnant, she has two children, she's going to school, and she's working. (laughs) It's a gift. God put it in there. Let's just harness every other thing and go for it. Hallelujah. I encourage that as God is making us mixed cultures, we should leverage our strengths and learn from one another. I work with a lot of Caucasian colleagues. I look at their attention to detail. Till today, some of them are subordinates to me. But I look at their presentation, their attention to detail, because it's a gift for them. So that I can be more diligent with what I do. I don't sit down there and say, I I, I am a... a, Let's go to the next point. (laughs) Hallelujah. Number four, let's choose prudence over extravagance. Prudence. God hates waste. Jesus said when they were filled, John 6, 12, he said to the disciples, gather up the fragments that none should be lost. Waste is not of God. God hates waste. Plan your life in such a way that you don't waste. Don't waste time. Don't waste money. Don't waste resources. Everything you are throwing away, in many cases, is something that somebody else needs somewhere, except it is being fully used and cannot be used again. So avoid wasting whatever you do. If you don't need it, don't buy it. That something is on sale doesn't mean you have to buy it. The sweaters are five for one pound. You don't need it. You need only one. (laughs) If you must buy the five, buy the five. Give it out to people. Give it out to other people if you must buy the five. Do what you need to do, but avoid waste. These are choices we make on a daily basis that shows that we have the fear of God. If Jesus said they should make sure nothing is lost, we should also make sure nothing is lost. Now, this is nothing to do with being thrifty or being stingy, not giving to people. No, this is all about making sure that whatever God puts in our hand, we are using effectively. The Bible says, he who is faithful in little, Luke 9, 17, he will be given rule over many cities. Let's choose boldness over fear. Let's help that child. God bless you. Let's choose boldness over fear. Choose boldness over fear. You will always be presented with opportunities to be afraid. Always learn to choose boldness over fear. God is with you. I say God is with you. Joshua chapter 1 verse 9. He said, have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid. Tell your neighbor for me, do not be afraid. You 
sit in front of a panel, they are interviewing you and you are shaking. You don't need to present yourself like that. Even if these people are so important, they are human beings like you. Gather yourself together and say, Holy Spirit, help me. I told you the very first professional exam I took in this country when I came in to settle and I wanted to regularize my professional uh, 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 status with different engineering and construction institutions. One of them, uh, this was just three years of being into the country, very little experience of the so-called UK experience at that time. And I sat in front of this panel and they looked at me. The guy said, uh, it was his turn to ask me a question. Three of them, two have, ans have answered them well. This third one came with one kind of thing. He said, if I had a site that had this problem and that problem and this one, and this did not come in time and that one did not work, this software failed, blah, blah, blah. He just described one complex scenario that I'm sure he himself has never seen before. <laughs> I looked, there is no way I can answer. I don't even understand the question. I don't know where we start from. Holy Spirit said to me, there and then, the Holy Spirit said to me, ask him what he will do. With, with boldness. I said, when he finished, I said, wow. I said, that's a very, very good question. But what would you do? <laughs> he said, oh, you're asking me? Oh, well, I will do this. I'll put this in place. I'll call this number. I'll make sure this is there. And this is. He talked for about two minutes. When he finished, I said, that's exactly what I will do. <laughs> Hallelujah. He said, ah, you agree with me? I said, ah, of course I agree with you. Why will I not agree? <laughs> Why will I not agree with you? Just give me my certificate. <laughs> the day I defended my PhD, we have finished everything. The man said to me, looked at me, and he said, I want to change your title. It used to worry PhD students. After working four years, somebody just comes one day and says, I want to change the title. So they argue and argue. We have finished the exam. The man looked at me and said, I like everything we've done. He said, but I want to change the title. I said, what would you like it to be? He gave me the title. I wrote it down. I said, that's what it will be. He said, wouldn't you argue with me? I said, I would Is it title you want? Do you want to put your name? I will put your name. <laughs> Anything you want, I will put it there. Just give me my PhD and let me go. Just the wisdom of God. You have to be bold to possess your possession. God said to Joshua, he said, I have given you that land. Go back to verse 9. He said, don't be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Keep choosing to be bold, and God will keep driving out fear from your life. If you are going to go far in this country, in this system, you have to be bold. You have to be courageous. I'm not saying arrogant, but be courageous. You have to apply for things that people are not applying for. You have to take steps for things people are not doing. If you are going to win a soul in this country, you have to be bold. You can't, you can't just be timid and expect it to work. It's no anointing. No, you have to be bold. Everything, you have to be courageous. And may the spirit of courage come upon us afresh today. In the name of Jesus. Choose forgiveness over unforgiveness. Number six. God was dropping these things in my spirit. There are so many, but I'll just stop on the eighth one. Forgiveness over unforgiveness. Romans 12, 21, it says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with what? With good. Somebody did you evil in reality? Stop being unforgiving. Every time you don't forgive, you lock yourself in a prison, not them. Release yourself. Forgive. Jesus taught us to forgive. Every one of us must understand. Luke 23, 34, Jesus said that, Forgive them, for they do not know what they do. He used good to overcome the evil they were doing to him. Don't be overcome by evil. And he did that, gave up the ghost, and went to heaven. 
Every time you forgive, you give yourself freedom from earthly pressures and access to heavenly treasures. Every time you forgive, you give yourself freedom from earthly pressures and access to heavenly treasures because you free yourself every time. It is important we learn to choose to forgive. It is a choice. Jesus said we should pray that we should, our Father should forgive us as we forgive those who trespass against us. We have to make a choice, a decision and a choice to forgive. It is not a gift of God to walk in forgiveness. It is a choice we make daily to forgive people. If you want to be advancing, especially in this kingdom, to be a standing Christian, and if you have any calling whatsoever to ministry, you must learn to forgive people because people will offend you. People will wrong you. People will do things to you because you too will do or could do to them. It is part of the frailty of human beings to wrong one another. Let us learn to walk in forgiveness. It doesn't give us the logis to live anyhow and hurt people anyhow, but the reality is that we have the power to control ourselves and forgive. Number seven, choose faith all the time over unbelief. Jesus said in John 11:40, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Did I not say if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Basically to say if you don't believe, you will not see the glory of God. Choose faith. Choose faith. Walk in faith. The Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. 1 Corinthians 5, 7. We walk by faith and not by sight. Every one of us must understand that it is important that on a daily basis, the easiest way to walk will be by sight. Your feeling, what you are hearing, what they are saying, what they are not saying, what is happening, the money you have, the money you don't have, and this and that. But you walk by faith. What does it mean to walk by faith? Walking in accordance with what God has said concerning you, concerning your marriage. Don't leave your marriage. Don't confine your marriage to your day-to-day experiences. Push your marriage as godly people. Push your marriage into the will of God, which says two are better than one, which says he that finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from God. Push it into those things that scriptures have said. I and the sons and daughters that God has given to me. Isaiah 8.18, we are for signs and for wonders. So you push your children into that prophetic declaration and enjoy it and walk by faith. Walk by faith. Finally, this may surprise you, but it is a choice we make. Walk in prosperity over poverty. Somebody will say, but brother Dave, I... I've never chosen poverty in my life. (laughs) The reality is that you have to intentionally choose prosperity. First, understand what prosperity is so that you can choose it correctly. That you don't have money in your bank account does not mean you are not a prospered person. Believe me. Because it's not about money. Money can be one of the things that helps you to walk in the prosperity of God, but it doesn't have to be it. The first prosperity is the prosperity of your soul. The prosperity of your soul, a joyful person. You choose to be joyful. You choose to be peaceful. You choose to be kind. You choose to be loving. You choose to be giving. Regardless of what you have, it is a choice you make. You are waiting until you have 50 pounds to bless a person before you can be a blessing. No, you have the five today. Start with the five. That is how you make a choice to be a prospered man and a prospered woman. 
You are waiting until you have that 1,000 pounds to, to contribute to the things of God and to just make that impression that you want to make. No, you have the 10 today, the 100. Put it in because that is how the 1,000 that you think was a benchmark would come into your hand someday. I say it will come into your hand someday. He said in 3 John 2, we know that verse. He said, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in hell, even as your soul prospers. 3 John 1, 2. 3 John 2. It is God's desire that we prosper in all things and be in health. Let us walk by choosing to be prospered every day of our lives. Let's walk by choosing to walk in prosperity. Let us understand that kingdom prosperity means that we are people who are willing to give much more than to receive. Willing to give of your time, give of your attention, give of your giftings, give of anything. And as you are a giver like that, God now makes you a channel. You see, the, 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 the kingdom prosperity is something that works for every human being on earth. Anyone who is a philanthropist, whether they know God or not, as long as their hand is open to bless humanity, God puts more in there. Check it everywhere. The only difference from a child of God is that they don't amass everything at the end of the day and lose their own soul. That is the only difference. Whoever you are, whether you are Christian, Muslim, Sheikh, whatever you are, Sikh, whoever you are, if you are open and generous, God will always put resources into your hand to bless others. The only difference for one who is now a child of God is that they have not gained the whole world and have not lost their own soul. So let us understand it very well. Don't let the devil tell you you have nothing and that you are poor. You wake up in the morning and say, Lord, I thank you because I'm prospered. I am strengthened. I am whole. When we came into this country, my stipend was 500 pounds a month as a PhD student uh, on studentship. 500 pounds a month. And our, chair, our church was going to buy, my church then, we were going to buy chairs. And people were pledging. They said, I said, how much is a chair? They said, it's 25 pounds. And people were pledging one chair and all that. And as a PhD student, nobody would, I would be very glad to, I would be, it would be very glad, if I, it would be very good of me if I could buy two chairs because that would be 50 pounds from my stipend. My wife and I looked at each other. We said, you know what? We're going to buy 10 chairs. And we prayed, 250 pounds. 250 pounds. That time, it's like asking me for 25,000 now. 250 pounds. And in under three months or so, God helped us. We redeemed it. But that was the beginning of an opportunity to give at different levels. To the glory of God today, we don't give. 250 pounds today, I can't say I pledge that anymore and say that is a giving. No, no, no. That one is, thank God for it. It's like offering to the glory of God, to the glory of God, to the glory of God. But if, you, if I didn't start like that, if I came and said, you see, I'm a PhD student. I don't have anything. They just take these five pounds. <laughs> So there are things you do. You, you, you are looking for a job yourself, but this is somebody, you have one job, you are looking for a job. Somebody does not have any job at all. You give your time to support their effort. That is what we are talking about. You commit to their effort. Then God now commits to you, somebody who will also help you. Let's rise to our feet. Father, we thank you today. We thank you today. We give you praise. Makante bro, koshkete kuskara. Sere konto koshere babasuri. Le kronda bushki.